Training camp is here, which means real NFL football is just around the bend. And as we draw nearer to that glorious day, the 2023 Cigar Thoughts Positional Breakdown Series chugs along. Today, we break down the linebacker position with former Seahawks linebacker and current sports radio host Dave Wyman. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my pristine producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Feeling great, feeling clean, Jackson. We are through the doldrums of July and on to training camp. How are you? Man, I'm so excited for today. Training camp's underway, which means we're getting close to full speed looks at these players. It also means preseason games are almost here, which, of course, means the season is almost here. And today, we get to dive into all of that with someone who is very close to the action. But before we do, a quick reminder, you can still get your official Cigar Thought cigars directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Just follow the link and place your order to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf. Or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, as many of you have, and we'll send you the deets directly. You can also click the link in the show page on whatever platform you're listening to us on. At this point, the feedback is pretty overwhelming regarding the quality of the cigar experience, so get some for yourself or as a gift and help support the show at the same time. We'd also love for you to check out our YouTube channel, where you can catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show, including this one. This is one of the best ways you can help Cigar Thoughts grow, so we're grateful for the few seconds it takes for you to like and subscribe the videos. Now, to everyone listening, you know how blessed we've been to have the guests we've had on this show, particularly for the Positional Breakdown series. From Walter Jones to Mina Kimes to Michael Bumpus to Colby Parkinson, Mike Dugar and Charles McDonald, it's been an awesome stretch where we've gotten to learn firsthand from some of the smartest people covering the sport, and today is no different, as we dig into the Seahawks linebackers with, wouldn't you know it, a former Seahawks linebacker. He played nine years in the NFL, six of which were with Seattle, and he racked up over 550 tackles during his career. Now, he's the excellent co-host of the Wyman and Bob Show on 710 ESPN, and will be a part of the play-by-play booth with Steve Rabel this season. And he is gracious enough to join us in the Cigar Lounge today. He is Dave Wyman. Dave, thanks for making the time. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, well, we certainly appreciate it. And we're going to spend some time talking about the current state of the Seahawks defense, focusing specifically on the linebackers. But I want to provide the listeners with some context that you are uniquely positioned to offer. You were drafted in 1987 out of Stanford, and it's safe to say the game has changed a lot in some ways, but has also remained consistent in others. So as someone who still covers the game, how has playing linebacker evolved since you were on the field? Yeah, well, I think, you know, what's funny is I, I feel like they do do things differently now. I, I think when I played, especially when I played in a 3-4 where there's an uncovered guard over you, mm-hmm. you're half your job is taken on blocks. But if you watch like Bobby Wagner, they try to free him up quite a bit. And so, you know, that that art form is kind of lost a little bit. But, you know, you don't see linebackers attacking the, the line of scrimmage every play. Um, you see it every once in a while. But, you know, for the most part, I think taking on blocks. And that was something I had to learn how to do in the pros. I mean, when I was in college, I would take them on with my shoulder and mm-hmm. my my forearm and all that. And you just can't do that in the NFL because you get just swallowed up. So the three uh, uh, points of contact are your your hands and your head. And that's just how you have to take on a blocker. But um, I, I think that has pretty much stayed the same, that part of it. But I don't know, I see more and more where there are linebackers, and especially if they're athletic, like um, Devin White or Bobby Wagner, which I watched Bobby Wagner run uh, on a wheel route the other day with DJ Dallas, and he's in his, what, 12th year, 13th year. DJ's in his third or fourth year, and he ran with him the entire way. Wow. But, you know, I think guys like that, they're so gifted with um, ball skills and athletic ability that they try to free him up to, to do different things. Yeah, I was more of a battering ram than I was a <laughs> linebacker, basically. Well, yeah, and, and you know, we, we say the term linebacker, but it's – a little bit of an umbrella word and you know depending on scheme personnel it can cover a lot of different skill sets 
I think a lot of us, at least me, when I hear linebacker, the first thing I think of is like a Dick Buckus or a Ray Lewis or a Bobby Wagner, you know, these kind of off ball, middle of the defense captain types. Mm -hmm. But you've also got the old school Sam and Will positions. Edge rushers are often considered linebackers. You've got, you know, coverage backers as well. The game is getting not positionless, but a little bit more fluid position to position, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. You're right. Um, and you see uh, a lot of uh, sort of hybrid guys like Jamal Adams and Julian Love that, you know, and Jamal Adams is a, is a pretty big guy. He's like 215, 220. So, and he's 6'2", even though he, he kind of plays like a, a smaller player. But um, yeah, they, they can move him down on the box. He can, you know, it's kind of a hybrid I, I kind of see the second level linebacker going away a little bit, you know, just because they want speed in there and mm-hmm. to have both is really tough. There's a few guys, like I said, Devin White ran a four three seven, you know, and that guy's the linebacker in Tampa. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder if that's going to be, cause you know, we've been talking about running backs and the whole franchise tag and how they're just right above special teams. And I, I wonder if linebacker is going to start to, but, you know, that's all encompassing because, like you said, uh, you're, you're talking about defensive end, outside backer types, and really what you're talking about are second-level linebackers. Yes. Guys that are off the ball. And, yeah, I, I, there might be a couple of times where you see maybe one linebacker on the field this year for the Seahawks just yeah. because they have Julian Love. They got four really good corners. And so, yeah, I would say in general that's probably the way the game is trending. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm actually so glad you mentioned that because it's something that Mike and I have talked about before. Linebackers are kind of from and and again, by linebacker we're talking about that second level defender. They are kind of the running backs of the defense in terms of how the NFL allocates salary and and Seattle's kind of bucked the trend in that way. They they've been willing to pay Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright top of the league money. Do you think that Seattle is, and Pete Carroll specifically, is still a little bit old school in terms of seeing the value of those guys that are literally in the center of the defense? Yeah, well, I think it takes a special kind of guy, and Bobby is definitely special. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it, more than anything, more than the position, I think, to them anyway, um, it's more about the the person. I, I was talking, you know, the player, I should say. Uh, I was talking to Lofa Tatupu about Bobby Wagner, and he said, you know, that he's the the best athlete that he's ever seen play linebacker. So, yeah, I mean, he is very special. So I wouldn't say necessarily that, but yeah, the way, the way it's going right now, I I thought KJ was special too, just from a leadership standpoint and, and really his best year was his last year here in Seattle. So it's kind of, kind of odd, but um, he's playing a new position too. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think those two guys are really special, I guess, is my point. But uh, let's hope the linebacker's not going away. Yeah, no kidding, man. I'm I'm right there with it. I mean, it's kind of the first position I think of when I think of, like, football player, you know? It's yeah. it's that right. guy. And and I just think there's so much value into it. And, you know, we're, we're pro analytics over here, too, for sure. But the game is still the game. And you, you got to have those guys there. And, and they are valuable. And, you know... Like you look at Seattle's defense last year, they were pretty mercurial overall. I mean, they struggled during the first month and then they went on that white hot tear in the middle of the season, helping the team win four straight games by double digits. Then they regressed. Uh, It kind of started with that game against Tampa and then they never really got back to that midseason peak. As someone who's been in those trenches, what did you see that helped them play so well in October? And to what do you attribute their struggles the rest of the season? It's a great question. I, you know, it's funny. I was sitting in Germany in, in my hotel room and, you know, trying to get my, my body clock right and everything. So I was going through all the stats and I was looking at, I think it was the previous four games to the Tampa game. Yep. They played Arizona twice. I think the Chargers were in there and then uh, the Giants. Yep. And, you know, they held Saquon Barkley to like 2.2 yards per carry. And I just, the way they were trending at that point, I was like, okay, this this could be the number one defense. They were a top five in every category just got totally exposed in that Tampa Bay yeah. game. Uh, I mean, it was, and, and also. And Tampa was at bad that, at running too. That was the oh, crazy they thing. They were horrible. Yeah. They had a couple of uh, games where they, they handed the ball off, I think three times or nine times, <laughs> you know, I mean. <laughs> they threw it almost 800 times last year. <laughs> yeah. And they were dead last in the run game They And the reason I remember they, they had 62 yards per game at that point. 
Well, they ran for 162 against mm-hmm. the, the Seahawks defense. But, you know, and the problem was there, they figured something out that the Seahawks, number one, were outmanned. And Bobby Wagner talked about this the other day. And I was trying to explain it on our show. But, you know, when you – everybody has a gap, right, in, in the run fit and or the run game. Mm-hmm. And then if they motion somebody in or they shift, that creates another gap. You know, and they just weren't adjusting to that. There were, you know, there were more gaps than there were defenders in that game. And you could see the Tampa Bay offensive linemen were going to the sidelines like, let's go, man. We're going we're gonna to crush these guys. We're going to run right down the field. And they did. So, you know, that got kind of exposed. And then the other thing that w- was going on, I don't know if you guys have heard like from Al Woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quandre Diggs has expressed this too, but Al Woods the other day said he wanted to play in the jet defense because he was tired of catching and reading. Yeah, And that's kind of what they were trying to do. They were trying to two gap, which means the offensive line or the defensive lineman is going to come down the middle of the guy and then he's going to pick a side. Mm-hmm. And then the linebacker, this is what it looked like to me anyway. <laughs> then the linebacker has to go, to the opposite side that he doesn't pick either the a or the b gap then you got the safety who's coming in to fill and he's waiting to see what the linebacker was doing so it was kind of a ripple effect so they they just weren't they weren't reacting you know there's yeah. lots of times where i do a thing at our station called football 101 yeah and you know we were looking at a couple of uh, plays i think it was against carolina who ran all over them uh the raiders where there's a double team on the Defensive line by two offensive linemen, you know, four total. And then they're supposed to, one of them goes up to the linebacker, Mm -hmm. but the linebacker has to attack the line of scrimmage at that point when he sees that double team and they just weren't doing that. So they weren't, you know, I, I always felt like you should know what your gap is before the ball is snapped. You know, and if they shift, then you're going to have to adjust and things like that. But trying to read a gap, read what gap you have after the ball has snapped, I think is you just can't do it. It just takes too much time. So I think they'll get more back to that. I think we heard from Draymond Jones in camp that, you know, he's they're going to use him uh, to the best of his ability, which he said is a penetrating type of, uh, you know, defensive line play. And that they're going to attack a little bit more. And he's, he mentioned something about holding uh, runners to three yards or less. And I was like, I like hearing that, man. That, that'd be great if you could do that. Yeah. But, and, and you're not going to be able to do it on every play. But I'd like to see more of, uh, you know, like especially Cody Barton last year. He especially suffered because he was just confused. You can mm-hmm. tell. And he, that's just the way he is. He gets... He gets kind of wild and, you know, and I think he's a good linebacker, but he, he's kind of like uh, distracted and he gets distracted easily. And I think that hurt him worse than anything. So I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to see something totally different this year as far as the run defense goes. You know, one of the things I struggled with watching the team and writing about them last year was it didn't feel like there was a lot of conviction to the type of approach that the team had. And, and I wonder how much of that, you mentioned this guy at the top, I wonder how much of that had to do with their plan for Jamal Adams and bringing him down in the box. You know, we heard a lot about when they were interviewing Clint Hurt and Sean Desai and some of these others. How are you going to use this guy? How are you going to weaponize Jamal Adams? Because he's not just a coverage safety. Uh, In fact, that's a disservice to his skill set, I think. And so game one, (laughs) he's out for the season. And it's not really replaceable. We had Mike Dugar on. He was talking about how he was talking to like Ryan Neal and Kobe Bryant. And all of a sudden they're being asked to come up and set edges, you know, in the run game and take on pulling guards and offensive tackles. And they're just not, they're not built for it. Do you think that from a schematic standpoint, the defense had trouble adjusting to the early season injury of Jamal? Yeah, I think yes. And the reason why is because, you know, Last year in camp where we set up our radio show is right where the defensive linemen are working out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they'll just walk through things. And the the person, the other guys that are involved that are going to be playing behind that are also in that walkthrough. And Jamal Adams was over there almost every time. He, he's not with the defensive backs. Wow. He was with the front seven. So, yeah, when they – that was a huge loss, huge loss to them. And I think they would have done things a lot differently – if they were going into camp knowing that they weren't going to have Jamal Adams. So 
whatever he did in 2020. So that was the pandemic year. Mm -hmm. I got a chance to go down to camp, you know, that was, we had to go up on the berm and wear our mask and everything. Nobody could talk to anyone, but I went to a lot of those practices. And if you didn't know who number 33 was, you'd be like, who is that guy? Yeah. He was just all over the field. Yeah. And then, you know, a lot of times you see it not translate onto the field. That first game against Atlanta in 2020, he was just nails. I mean, he was setting the edge. You know, he's doing everything right. Um, him and Quandre Diggs together, they were just, you know, probably the best safety tandem in the league. So, yeah, it's a huge loss with him. And a lot of people have said he's a disappointment. It's disappointing that he got hurt, but that dude can play. He can play football, man. He And he, he loves it. So, yeah, I thought it made a huge difference last year. And I wonder if they're going to go in this year, you know, with a little bit more caution. Just like okay, let, let's let's plan. You know, what's the contingency if Jamal Adams happens to to go down again? Yeah, you know, you you really touched on a couple of things I was going to ask you about, and maybe we can dive into them a little bit further because, yeah, I mean, I think Cody Barton was a bit of lightning rod for criticism. I think a lot of it was was justified. He, he just looked like a lost puppy out there sometimes. Yeah, but the linebackers as a whole took a lot of heat for the team struggles on defense, particularly in the run game, and. You know, the two things that jumped out to me seems like kind of in line with what you were saying. You know, one, I don't think the defensive line was great at keeping blockers from getting to the second level. And then, in, and we've heard KJ talk about this too. It sounds like there were rather frequent lapses in communication and assignment discipline. Does that match up with your observations of the linebackers? And am I missing anything here? They weren't playing together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's how I would put it, which is all the things that you just said. I mean, they just, you know, and you saw lots of times, and I mentioned that ripple effect, and I remember Quandre Diggs putting his hands up in the air a bunch of times, just like, what are we, what are we doing here? You mm -hmm. know, it just didn't seem to make sense. I know this. They've got a couple of really smart guys on their defensive uh, staff. Um, trying to remember the name of the new coach, but they got a new pass rush coach. It used to be Aaron Curry, which I was always mystified by that. Um, just because, I mean, he, I mean, look, he was a linebacker in the league and didn't live up to expectations, but he, he wasn't really an outside, you know, pass rusher. Right, so right. I think that that'll be better. But you got a guy named Carl Scott, who's just brilliant, just a great. Uh, defensive coach and then Clint Hurt as well. So they just, they need to figure it out. Uh, and, you know, and I think they will. There was enough said and enough seen by everybody that that run defense needs to be fixed. Now, and I'll say this they were 31st against the pass for two years in a row leading up to last year. Yeah. And last year they were 16th. Now you might say, okay, well, that's because everybody was running on them, maybe a little bit, but. Also, you know, they they repaired that quite a bit. That was a huge jump going from 31st to 16th. So hopefully they can do something similar to that. Not asking them to be a top five, top 10 against the run. But if they can make that kind of improvement, it's going to do the defense a lot of good. Yeah. And I mean, I think Seattle is going to have an excellent offense this year. You know, it's going to take some of the pressure off. This isn't a team that needs to be, like you said, a top five defense in order, I think, to even win the division. I think that... If they can be consistently a top half defense, then they're going to give their offense enough opportunities to score enough points to win 10, 11, 12 games and challenge the 49ers. I do want to focus in kind of on some specific individuals with this linebacking core for Seattle. Last week, uh, we talked about the D-line. As I mentioned, we looped in guys like Uchenna and Wosu, Daryl Taylor, Derek Hall, and Boye Mafe, because even though they're listed on the depth chart as linebackers, they're a bit of a hybrid in that they spent a good amount of time rushing the passer as well. So for today, we may as well start with the godfather. We've talked about him a little bit already, Bobby Wagner. He's returned to the team. He's captain for a long time after a one-year hiatus with the Rams. And I think the decision to bring him back had a lot to do with vibes and leadership but also installing that exceptionally high football IQ and the kind of discipline that the defense just frankly lacked last season. As a player, you mentioned him covering the wheel route on DJ Dallas. How much juice do you think Bobby still has when it comes to actually being on the field? Well, I, he doesn't seem to have slowed down. <laughs> and you know what's weird about that? If you go and look on Pro Football Focus, look at Bobby's uh, percentage of snaps it mostly it's like 95 to at one year, I think it was a hundred percent. He was on the field for every snap. So he's in his 12th year. If I'm 
correct. And, you know, he's going to have to, they're going to have to cut that down. And I'm, I'm just wondering how that's going to go. I think that's going to be interesting, first of all. And then, you know, secondly, there was a lot of, they used him very differently in the defense in 20 and 21. Um, he was almost like a stopgap guy that would just sort of stay back and, so lots of times, like he wasn't attacking the line of scrimmage at all. It was a fourth and fourth down, and he was just kind of shuffling to the outside, making sure nothing got through the gap. So I, I was, I was mystified by the way that they used him uh, in those two years leading up to his departure to LA. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens this year. I mean, look, he's a big, strong dude who can attack a guard. You don't want to have him doing that on every play. He's not a battering ram, but he does. Uh, you know, I. I'll, I think it's going to be interesting to watch how they use him this year, just because the in years before and last year, I watched him with the Rams and that's where I came to the conclusion. I thought that Ken Norton was coaching him differently. So we went to the Rams. You saw him attacking the line of scrimmage, yeah. you know? So the only criticism I've, I've had of Bobby is that, um, a lot of times he will slip blocks. So what that means is you're going to run underneath your block, which effectively means you're going to, go into somebody else's gap in order to get there. If you ever do that, you have to make the play. You know, you can't be. And then the other thing is it's like a pitcher with a changeup. You know, you, you can't do that on every play. You've got to, you know, do it every fourth or fifth play. I used to go up, hit the guy as hard as I possibly could to make him think, okay, this guy's just going to, you know, batter me all day long. And then you run up there and you slip the block and try to make a play. So that that was one of the things I thought, like I said, it should have been used more like a changeup. And mm -hmm. he was doing it a lot. And, um, but I mean, look, other than that, Bobby is, you know, we always refer to him as a Hall of Famer and he's going to be. He's just incredibly productive. He can do everything. He's a great athlete. So, uh, yeah, but I, I'm very curious to see, number one, the snap counts, and number two, like how do they use them versus what we saw in 21 and 20 or what we saw last year with the Rams. Yeah, I, I am too. And I I hadn't noticed that with Bobby, him slipping blocks. It's, it's like in basketball, right? Like you got to fight over the top of a screen. You can't go underneath it because you're just going to give the shooter the room he needs to get the shot off. And you know, for, for me, the real value of Bobby Wagner is I, I like to see the defense as like a solar system. And he's always been the sun that the other 10 planets kind of orbit around. And it felt like almost like a dog walker with 10 leashes, you know, and, and keeping everybody where they need to be. Uh, and that wasn't there last year. I mean, I, I love the next guy we're going to talk about, Jordan Brooks, and, and we'll get to him in a second. But he just there's so few guys who can do what Bobby does from that standpoint. So I think having that back is going to be good, not only for on-field results, but also from a standpoint of showing these guys what that looks like and also freeing up these other guys, knowing like, hey, the center of the defense is taken care of from an assignment standpoint and the ability to recognize audibles and pre-snap adjustments and things like that. It's going to make it easier for the other guys to just play and not have to worry about missed assignments. But but you talked about how he attacked more in L.A., and we saw it in the two games against Seattle. I mean, I think he had like three turnovers in those games and a sack. And you're right, in 2020, 2021, they weren't having him do that. His explosive plays were non-existent. Sure, he'd lead the NFL in tackles, and a lot of that had to do with the fact defense couldn't get off the field. He was just out there for more plays. But also, he wasn't getting tackles for losses. He wasn't picking the ball off or forcing fumbles or getting sacks. And I'm hoping that this new chapter allows him to be a little bit more of a disruptor. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, the, the other thing. So yeah, that's, that's part of uh, the big mystery. I think the, the snap counts and the, how they play him, having him around that and Tyler Lockett crashed his press conference the other day and yeah. was asking, I don't know if you guys heard that. Something about what, you know, what's with you getting here so early and this and that. But that, you know, everybody thinks of the Legion of Boom of being just this ultra talented group, which they were. But the one thing about that that group when they had those defenses that were number one for, what was it, 12, 13, 14, 15, or 16 or something, yeah. which is still, to me, the best defense in NFL history. Yeah. I mean, anybody who has, you know, four, four years in a row – been the the scoring champion meaning the least scored that 
it's scored on, I should say. Uh, it, it's it's pretty amazing. But a lot of that, say, so we thought it was like all this talent and everything, which it was. But a lot of it was like KJ and Bobby used to go after film and watch more film together mm -hmm. and sit there and talk through things. And then Bobby comes in at, I don't know, 5.30, 6 a.m., whatever it is. And, you know, he's putting the work in. I mean, those guys, you know, Richard Sherman and uh, Earl Thomas and Cam Chan, all those guys did that stuff as well. And so he needs to kind of bring that back because, yeah, you can put your time in and go home and everything. But um, if you have a guy like Bobby that's just setting that example for everybody, I think that you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of study that needs to be done. I mean, it's not rocket science or anything like that, but it's just a lot of repetitions and what they might do. And then they know that, you know, that they're going to do this. So look out for this and that. And I mean, that takes a lot of time meeting and, and watching film. And I think Bobby is going to set that standard this year with these, uh, with this younger defense. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, a lot of guys get drafted and they're punchers and you have to learn how to counter punch, you know, you're going to face 17 well guess you got divisional uh opponents you're going to face 14 different offenses each year and they're going to be making adjustments throughout the game can you adjust as well and and to your point about preparation bobby is one of my favorite quotes i've ever heard you he talked about falling in love with consistency like you have to love doing the same thing over and over again in order to do what he needs to do and that that brings me to the next guy you know we just mentioned him a little bit ago but jordan brooks was famously drafted as first rounder at a time when off ball middle linebackers kind of like running backs. You just didn't use first rounders on them very often. And, and that kind of speaks to what I was talking about earlier with Pete Carroll wanting to invest in that position. Yes. They, they paid Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright at the top of the league and they earned it because they had the talent, but also they used a first round pick on that position. And, you know, he's got all the talent. He's, he's practically an athletic clone of Bobby Wagner in terms of, his height and weight, his his testing numbers and all that stuff. And he responded by being among the NFL's leading tacklers each of the first two seasons. But, of course, he had that brutal knee injury towards the end of last year. And while his return date's still a bit uncertain, it does seem that he's progressing nicely. So knowing this defense as well as you do, what was your reaction when Seattle drafted Brooks? And what have your impressions been during his career so far? Well, first of all, I kind of shook my head and laughed because they had Bobby and KJ. Yeah. It was kind of like when they took uh, uh, who's the the running back that didn't work out. We had Marshawn Lynch and kid out of AM. I can't remember. Christine name, Michael. But yeah, Christine Michael. Uh yeah, it was kind of like a, a very John Schneider move. Mm -hmm. And um and we had him on our show, John, this year. He uh he's he's a good friend of mine, but he's also uh came on the Wyman and Bob show and just you know, he is more about we're going to take the best player available here than I think people think. And that's why you got Jordan Brooks there. I'll say this about Jordan Brooks. Last year, all the confusion with the run game, stuff like that. There was two guys that I didn't see any of that from. One was Al Woods. Mm -hmm. I thought Al Woods played played well no matter what. And then the other was Jordan Brooks. Mm -hmm. He didn't go through all the confusion. I felt like he got it. There was just a lot of things that were falling apart around him. And, uh, you know, and he's, I thought last year he would make more plays because he's getting comfortable, but there were too many question marks on that defense for him to ever be confident enough to, to sort of turn it loose. But if you look at a guy that I think was drafted right after him, his name's Patrick Queen. He's a linebacker yep. for the, the Ravens, if you look at that guy, he's he's made a lot of plays. Mm -hmm. You know, sacks, touchdowns, interceptions, things like that. And I say a lot, but I mean for three years, yeah, it's a pretty good amount. And Jordan doesn't have those kind of plays, but I feel like he'll get comfortable enough at some point where he can turn it loose and start to to make plays. You know, and I, I think your first couple of years, you're so worried about, you know, I say there's three parts of of a of a play. First of all, get lined up properly. Second is, you know, execute your responsibility in the defense. And then the third part is just turn it loose, be a football player and play game, you know, play the game. And I feel like Jordan kind of didn't get to that part the first couple of years, but I think he will. And like I said, he was very solid last year, even though a lot of things were crumbling around him. I've rarely had criticism for anything that he did, um, even in the run game last year. It seemed like he always had his gap. Yeah, and, and you know, he was excellent playing next to Bobby Wagner as, as a rookie. 
because I think he had that kind of North star next to him. And I think he has all the talent necessary to be an all pro linebacker. I think he's a very good tackler. He's got the athleticism, but like we just touched on, you know, he's not on Bobby's level and who is when it comes to play recognition, pre-snap adjustments. And, and one observation I had is, you know, Wagner is so good at engaging and then disengaging from blockers really quickly. And I think that's an underrated talent as a linebacker, something that you're talking about, right? Being able to throw different pitches at blockers throughout the course of a game. Do you see that as something that's within Brooks's abilities to get better at? Take it on blockers and shedding. Yep. First of all, I would say I throw this in there. Jamal Adams is the best block shedder. I don't know what you want to call that. A shedder. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's the, I think he's tremendous the shedder. <laughs> Let's go with it. All right. Shedder. It's a new one. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, it's like he has disdain for anyone that tries to block him. Mm -hmm. He treats him like he, like get, get off of me, you know, and he he's really good at that. Some guys have that talent. Um, I'll be honest. I haven't really noticed that much with Bobby, um, that he's just so fast, you know, I think that's, that's part of it. But, um, but yeah, I think Jordan Brooks could learn a little bit from Bobby because I think what Bobby would tell you is like, I'm not going to hit the guard. I want to hit the running back. And he's right. You know, the, you should do that, but sometimes yeah. you have to hit the guard in order to hit the running back. So, and I think Jordan Brooks has, uh, has always done that. I think the thing that stands out to me about about him is he's very responsible. He's like, he's like my older brother, mm. you know, <laughs> my older brother is the, the responsible one, you know, that always does right. And I was always the idiot that he had to kind of <laughs> clean up and don't tell dad. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's kind of how Jordan Brooks sort of reminds me of. He's just the, like the very solid guy, man, a few words, doesn't, you know, talk a whole lot, but the other, the other thing about Jordan Brooks, I would say is that, um, he went to Texas Tech, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, if you look at his film, they were using him as a spy. They were using him as a man-to-man -man coverage guy. Rarely saw him drop back into zone. And when his rookie year, he had a couple of drops, including one where he picked up a deep sail against, uh, which is just a, a huge sweeping crossing pattern. And he turned and ran to the point. He picked that up really fast yeah. because he was not, a, a zone drop type of guy and zones almost zones harder mentally than man to man physically man to man's hard because you're going to get matched up with somebody that you're probably in a mismatch with but you know the zone part of it of not jumping stuff in, in front of you mm -hmm. um you know making sure if this guy goes out somebody's coming across you know everything that you see in front of you sort of is what your read is, what's going on behind you. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to that, especially in the NFL. And he picked that stuff up really well. So I was I was very impressed by that as well. I think he can be a complete linebacker by the time, you know, he gets into his like third, fourth year. We'll see if this injury maybe slows him down just a little bit. I always kind of account for that. But because it does, it takes away from your yeah. momentum. But, um, but no, I think he is as solid as can be. And I don't know that I would, trade him for Patrick Queen. Yeah. You know, Patrick Queen makes a lot of plays, but I've watched him play and I don't think he would fit into this defense. He's a gambler. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, yeah, he takes chances. And, and I don't think I don't I, think Pete wants that in the middle of his defense. No. No. And well, if you get to a certain point, you have a certain status. Like Bobby can be a little bit of a gambler, right? You know, but for the most part, if you make a play and I've heard stories of somebody just told me a story the other day where he got an interception and then the, the, uh, line or the linebacker coach, uh, balled him out on the sidelines. He's like, I just got an interception. He's like, you guessed, you know, you, you better not do that again. Or you, if you do guess, you better make that play. So yeah, it's, uh, I think he'll get to that point where maybe he can, um, you know, start to turn it loose again and maybe take some chances, educated, you know, chances, meaning, okay, I'm going to, you know, this is the cost of doing business. I'm going to jump this and hopefully get an interception, with the risk that they're going to complete a 15 yard deep in yeah. behind me. I'm glad you brought up Patrick queen because I think he's a valuable reference point for Jordan Brooks, not just because of the draft position, but because I felt like the Ravens fans that I talked to were a bit dissatisfied with his performance through the first couple of years of his career. And it felt like things really took off once the team traded for Roquan Smith, who's established as a top 
echelon linebacker sure. in the league. And it allows him to be that number two instead of that, you know, lead dog in that position group. Bringing Bobby back allows Jordan to step back into that role. Think less, just do. Just having his presence just to push him down the line a little bit. How does that impact his role heading into this year? Yeah, I think that's a good thought. I I agree with that. I hope that's kind of what happens, you know, that he becomes that guy. But I don't know. Bobby might be want to be the guy that's, you know, you take care of all the the other things and I'll sure. run around and make plays. He certainly has shown the athletic ability to do that. But yeah, I think that that could be the case. But also it's just your personality. I mean, I always say this, this, this game tests you as a man, as a person, you know, your emotional toughness, your mental toughness, along with your physical toughness. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's something that, um, you know, you either are, or you aren't that kind of guy. I feel like Jordan Brooks is that kind of guy. I maybe, maybe that happens where Bobby gives him the security to, to go run around and start to make plays. But I just think he's, one of those guys that is dialed into what's right for the defense and, you know, just being the solid, he's kind of the rock. He's kind of the rock of that defense. And I don't know, he's not an outspoken guy. He's pretty quiet. And, um, you know, it's funny. I saw him when we were getting testing during the pandemic. And the one thing I looked at is, uh, at his headshot and I'm like, look at those linebacker eyes, man. It yeah. looked like they were like <laughs> laser beams coming out of them. And I was getting tested down there. I couldn't tell who was who except for him. <laughs> I saw him, he came walking up with his mask. I'm like, I know those eyes, those linebacker eyes. He's got some uh, fearsomeness about him. So, or ferocity, I guess I should say. But yeah, I mean, he's just, uh, I think he's just one of those solid guys that is always going to do right. He's really smart player and yeah, having him and Bobby reunited, I think will be interesting because the last time Bobby was here, there was a few times where he was uh, yelling at uh, at Jordan Brooks, like, you got to do this, you got to do that. We yeah. saw that on the sidelines and on the field a little bit. And he took it like a rookie, which was which was cool. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see them reunite and how their personalities have developed. Yeah, you know, Seattle didn't invest draft capital this year in off-ball linebacker, but they did spend a little bit of money. And they did that with a guy named Devin Bush coming over from Pittsburgh. And, and Bush is a guy who came out, his first-round draft pick, very highly touted, all the talent in the world, and, and played really well as a rookie, then blew his knee out and hasn't been the same guy since. Pittsburgh let him walk. Seattle obviously took the chance on him. What have you seen from Devin Bush, whether it be just in camp or, or looking into his play before coming to Seattle? Yeah, I think so. Uh, a guy who was my mentor, Keith Butler, who was um, mm -hmm. he was a linebacker for the Seahawks, and actually held the tackle record for the Seahawks up until Bobby. I think it took Bobby like five years to pass him. <laughs> <laughs> Keith was here, I think eight or nine or ten or something like that. But Keith was the defensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers when they drafted him, and you know they. They overdrafted Devin Bush. They got really excited. Yeah. And I think somebody, you know, said, look, we got to have this guy. And he had pull. And I thought, you know, they moved up, I think, 10 spots to get him. There's a lot of expectation with that, right? I mean, you, you come in that. I was always happy to be a second rounder, by the way. <laughs> There's lots of pressure on the first rounder. I know you get more money, but I'm like, second rounder, everybody's like, eh, yeah, maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. So, yeah, there's It's all there's upside from there. It's no, no downside. Yeah. It's all upside once you're out of the first round. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's uh, that's maybe what was going on that we had a nice long talk with him on our show and he's a great interview and a great kid kind of interesting body type. If you look at like his upper mm -hmm. body, he doesn't look like, I think he's really strong, but he doesn't look like he lifts weights a lot. He doesn't have like the big, you know, as Pete would say, he looks like a defensive back. Yeah, he, he does. But if you look at from like the waist down, he's got the power plant there, man. Yeah. I mean, he's got, you know, the big thighs and, and all that. So, I, but really thoughtful guy. And I think it, he sees this as a chance to kind of start over. And I, I talked to him a little bit about when I went to Denver. So I played six years here and then we got free agency. Finally in 1993, I went to the Broncos. And when I went there, my slate was clean. Like they, 
your team, your former team knows all the things about you that, you know, oh, he's this kind of guy or, oh, he's that kind of guy or, oh, he'll do this. You go to a new team and you just get an entirely clean slate. Hmm. So I think that's, that's going to help him a lot. There's no pressure here in Seattle for him, you know, in Pittsburgh, I'm sure they were talking about how he's got to live up to that first round status. He doesn't have any of that. So let's see if that benefits him. I think a lot of the, he can play. That guy can play. He's really good. He plays like he plays fast, but we'll see if that, you know, kind of gives him the confidence to sort of turn it loose and be the player they thought he was going to be. The, the way that they're building this defense, uh, do you see him? And, and I'm speaking, let, let's assume Jordan Brooks comes back at some point in the first half of the season and is mostly up to speed. If Devin Bush is the guy they think they're getting, are they planning on him being a high snap count guy? Or is he kind of like certain packages will put him in Maybe give one of the other guys a breather type. Bush, you're talking about? Yep. Yeah, I. It'll it'll be interesting to see that. I really don't know. Uh, um, you know, I haven't got a chance to to see them. Obviously, not in a game situation or anything. But yeah, I maybe. I don't know. I mean, like you said, you got Bobby, you got Jordan Brooks, you've got him, you got some other pretty good, you know, decent linebackers there. But I don't know how often those guys are going to be on the field. You right. Know, if Julian Love proves that he can play the the run up in the box if uh, jamal can stay healthy and do that same thing you may not see him uh on the field that much so sure not only that i mean you get this ridiculous thing going on at corner where i've never seen anything like it i mean trey brown the other day had one of the best practices i've ever seen well since i saw michael jackson have the best practice right. he's ever had right so you got four guys that are legit to play corner you got a couple of guys that are going to play nickel like you know maybe julian love maybe this jerick reed kid from new mexico he mm -hmm. can play in there kobe uh bryant obviously you know, you've got so many good defensive backs and safeties that who's the other guy? There's another guy that is just everybody is talking about. I have not really seen him play. Jonathan Sutherland. He's a linebacker. Yeah. I'm sorry, a safety out of Penn State. And everybody's just raving about him. And I've seen him make a couple of plays. But so they're they're really heavy in the defensive backfield. And yeah, maybe that means just less time for for linebackers. Sure. So we'll see what happens with uh, with Devin Bush. But I think he's a really good player, and you know he's just got to prove it. And sometimes going to that new atmosphere helps you. Oh, I bet, I bet. And you know we've gone in depth on on the top three guys. I think those will probably be the three highest snap count guys, assuming health on this team. But the NFL season is long and it's brutal, and you need depth. And so, uh, Mike, you've got a list of some of the other linebackers on the roster. Dave would love to just get your quick thoughts on some of these guys if anyone stands out to you. Yep. So, first off, we have Vi Jones entering his second year undrafted last year. John Radigan is back after he uh, blew his knee out the end of the 21 season, I believe. They just picked up Ben Burkirvan again uh, after he had that knee injury that was accompanied by some nerve damage and then lest we forget about the special teams god nick Ballore, who is listed as a <laughs> linebacker on the roster yeah uh, who out of those names stand out to you the most dave well let's see you know vi jones actually um he shined a little bit last year in the preseason and i think he got in a couple of snaps during the i like him i i think he's he's a good piece and you know maybe he keep, they keep him around as a, a special team guy um, but I do, I think he has some talent. The guys you mentioned, I think all of them have a chance. I like Radigan a lot. He, he makes a lot of plays. He's a very old school downhill type of linebacker. And then who was the other? Oh, Ben Burkirvan. If you look at him, first of all, he looks like he's about 15 years old. And then he looks like he's built like, uh, like a shortstop. You know, I mean, he's not, he's not a big guy. That dude is always in the right place. Always. And, you know, for coaches, I'll take that any time, you know, and that that's where in 2020, there was a lot of that stuff going on. And I remember he got in a couple of snaps and he didn't get a chance to get in a lot because Bobby, 100% of the snaps, but he got in in the Jets game in 2020 and he just did everything right. I've never seen a player. It was like 10 plays in a row where it was just, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Oh, look at him there. He's yep. filling that gap. That's exactly what he's supposed to do. He's just incredibly consistent that way. It worries me about his ACL thing that he had that nerve damage. But um, Ben Burkirvan is a super smart kid that is just, and like I said, coaches love that because their ass is on the line, right? 
I mean, they're like who I put out there as a linebacker coach, you know, that's, that's my job. And so who do you trust? And on game day, that's what happens. It's like, who do I trust out there? I don't care what his body build is or how fast he is. If I trust this guy. And that's the thing about Burkirvan. He's always going to be in the right place. So if I was some of those young guys, I'd sit next to Bobby, certainly. But Ben Burkirvan is another guy that just incredibly uh, smart football player. Yeah. You know, and, and zooming back out here, one of the big questions facing this team, maybe the biggest question facing this team is what scheme are they going to run on defense? I don't know that they ever got clear on that last year. And it's been kind of tough to discern from the coaches and, you know, what, what they're going to be doing this year. Maybe they're being a little coy about it, but what have you been hearing and what are you anticipating from a schematic standpoint with this defense? Yeah. I mean, we, we always hear that the three, four with the four, three principles and four, three with the three, four principles. <laughs> right. And really, I mean, the difference between those two defenses is personnel. You know, are you going to have four, you know, defensive linemen out on the field that really can't drop? And then I don't know if you noticed the year before that, which I hated it. The zone, oh the zone blitz God. is what we used to call yes. it. Oh, we uh, noticed it. Yeah. I Let's mean, just have Carlos Dunlap out covering slot yeah. receivers i used to complain about that when i was a player <laughs> i was like why are you dropping that guy into coverage he doesn't know what to Drove do me you know one-on-one -on -one with Najee harris <laughs> the only reason you do that is to shock or surprise right. the offense and we did it it was so like our base defense kind of, <laughs> well it was like yeah it was like throwing like i said earlier it's like throwing a change up on every play Right. Like, I mean, it's supposed to be here and there, and you're supposed to catch the other team by surprise, but when you do it 50 times. Now, anyway, so done with that rant. Um, but what were we talking about? <laughs> ah, no, just just kind of, you know, as you've been around camp and, and talking to guys involved with the team, if you had to guess what they're going to run this year, I mean, can you even? Yeah, I don't know. It depends on who's going to play. I mean, you can – it's not that huge of a difference, to me, it's not the scheme. Well, scheme means, you know, who do you have on the field? Do you have a guy with his hand in the dirt or do you have a guy in a two-point stance? You know, and that's that's really not a huge difference. But my question is going to be, how do you play your run gaps? I think that's the most important thing. And I think that they tried to do too much last year, um, like I said, as far as catching and reading and things like that. So, you know, I, th I think – and, you know, it's funny, uh, Brock and Salk, they have Pete on all the time. And Pete, you know, will tell them things every once in a while. And he said uh, to them, because I'm, I'm not in the meeting room, so I don't know what's going on, obviously. Sure. But he said a lot of these things will make your head spin. Okay. You know, as far as these, I mean, it, it looks like it's pretty simple. And these are just, you know, putting one guy here, one guy there. The only thing I would say about that is, you want to have a defense where guys don't have to think too mm -hmm. much. You're just reacting. Mm -hmm. And if, you, uh, if you're trying to think through it, and I thought that's what it looked like they were doing last yeah. year, then that's something that probably, you know, you got to know your players and know whether they can handle it or not. Maybe Bobby can, you know, bring enough leadership and, you know, get everybody going that they can remember and, and do that, that kind of stuff. But it has to make sense out on the field. You know, I, I had a lot of questions for coaches when I was playing, like, why are we doing it this way? Why don't we do it this way? You know, what's, what's the logic? And a lot, most of the time, Tom Catlin, who was my defensive coordinator, he would explain it to me and I'd say, oh, okay, I yeah. get it. Sometimes there were other coaches that just didn't know, like, well, because, you know, if it's like, okay, this guy goes in motion, then you got to do this. And now all of a sudden you're going, okay, I have that rule. That's an exception. And then another thing happens. Okay, that's an exception. It should all just make sense to you so that when the ball snaps, you're able to execute your responsibility and then, you know, go make a play. And I thought that was what was missing last year. Well, I, I think a lot of the best defenses, certainly in my lifetime, have been that. You know, it's if X and Y, then Z. And and not introducing too many variables. And I think it's, you know, that, that was almost a hallmark of the Legion of Boom defense. Obviously you had incredible personnel, but they also they weren't pulling a whole lot of punches, you know, and, and you have to, you have to be able to do that. Like you say, you got to be able to throw the change up, but I do find and and I'm so glad you hit on what I think is maybe the most under discussed point when we talk about defensive scheme is it does revolve around personnel, you know, and you got to play to the strengths of the guys who are actually on the field instead of asking them to do 
things that maybe they've never done before. And, and look, some circumstances are going to dictate that you need to do that once in a while. But, you know, it's, it's, isn't it a little funny that Pete Carroll has long carried this reputation, well-deserved of wanting to run the ball and just kind of be big and tough on defense and, and man up and not make you guess. And now all of a sudden you look at this team's personnel in 2023, what 14th year for Pete Carroll they on offense, they're looking like we're going to see a lot more 11 personnel. Certainly, you'd like to think that you got those three wide receivers. They're all going to be on the field. Uh, their neutral game pass run splits have trended towards passing for the last three years. And now on defense, we might be seeing a lot of nickel and even dime coverage where they're, like you said earlier, only one off ball linebacker on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to play whatever suits your personnel. What, what kind of people do you have and that's how i used to do it when i i coached high school football you know it was like um if i i was a d coordinator a couple of years i think with lake washington and inner lake and and so you know i would look at like what do we got here oh we got you know some big guys so let's go with the four three you know mm-hmm. where there's four linemen three linebackers and you know and that that's you you go off of that you know, you mentioned the eleven personnel, which is a tight end, a running back, and three wide receivers. And you know, that's I I loved the thirteen personnel last year, yeah. which was three tight ends. They were and really one running effective back. with it too. They were really good with it, and they seemed to always find an open guy. And I think those guys are Colby Parkinson had a nice catch for a touchdown the other day. He really came on, and he also became a really good blocker. So you get more firepower as far as the run game goes with 13 personnel, three tight ends, one running back. And I think that, and then also you can run all kinds of play action off of that. So I'll be interested to see how good is Njigba, you know, like, is he so good that they're going to kind of go away from the the three tight end set and go to more three wide receivers, man, if camp is any indication. Yeah. So, I mean, and you know, Schneider said that that guy's a top 10 pick if he doesn't get hurt at Ohio state his senior year. So, uh, Jackson, we, we said the Juba, same, so. we said the same thing when we had bump on talking wide receivers. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that if he was able to come out after his sophomore year, I think he's the first wide receiver off the board in what was a loaded class. That's going to be super interesting to see. Yeah. So, and he was the number 20 pick. So, you know, he's going to play. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it'll be, uh, yeah, that, that, that's my big question on, uh, on offense. Um, the other thing is just how durable these running backs can be. You see all the stuff going on with the running backs. You never see 30-year-old running backs, not right. since like Frank Gore or Adrian Peterson. And then, you know, just if Seahawks they can, legend Adrian Peterson. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he turned Rashad Penny around, supposedly. Uh, yeah, I, I think he did, actually. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, those guys, are they going to be able to stay healthy? Because they're already Charbonnet and I guess Walker both have had little – you know, problems and, you know, they had to bring a guy in and, you know, we'll, we'll see about the, their durability, but yeah, that's, that's a big question mark there as well. You know, I want to ask you one last question about the defense before we get out of here. I remember leading up to Super Bowl 43 when everybody was either predicting a Broncos blowout win or a really tight game. And you came out and you said, they're going to kill them. The Seahawks are going to kill these guys. That had to have been based on just not only their performance, of course. I mean, this was, like you said, maybe the best defense of all time going against maybe the best offense of all time. But also, they they just had unbelievable cohesion, swagger. Nobody's going to beat us. And they set the tone early in that game. You were the only person I heard predict anything close to the outcome that we actually saw. Do you see any way? I'm not saying that this is going to be the best defense of all time again we'll never see that again but can they get back in the next two years with these guys to that level of yeah come get us we're gonna knock you the f out yeah interesting you you say that because i've compared the last two drafts to 2010 and 11 and that's where they got sherm and kj and earl and you know it, it's still young guys that are unproven i'll tell you what guys if if they can get something even close to what they got out of their draft class last year, their rookie mm-hmm. year. I mean, everybody except Bo Melton and Tyreek Smith contributed and Tyreek Smith is back out there 
and he's wearing number 92. Hopefully that doesn't curse him. That was my jersey number. <laughs> he's got nothing but injury. No, I'm not I'm kidding. He's got to do the Brandon Meebane jelly roll after every sack. <laughs> yeah, that's right. More famous number 92 there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they didn't. He got hurt during like mini camp or something and never played. And then Bo Melton, I think, ended up on a different roster. But everybody else, even Derek Young, the kid out of uh, ah, the small school, I'm trying to remember Lenore or something. There was a safety from uh, New England has a safety from there. Lenore Ryan. Le- Lenore Ryan. Yeah. So I mean, small, t- you know, small school guy that still contributed quite a bit. And then you know, I have to tell you, both tackles, Boye Mafe. Ken Walker, I mean, Kobe Bryant, Tariq Woolen. If they can get, you know, like four or five guys from this class to contribute, and I think they can because you got the guys that are on the inside, like Cameron Young, who we talked to the other day, that's a big, scary-looking dude. Yeah. Um, It's not that hard to play nose guard. I mean, mentally. It's hard physically. But, you know, if they can get something out of those guys, yeah, they can start to head towards that – and you start to see, hey, this guy could be a pro bowl or whatever. Um, they could be heading towards that Legion of Boom era. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I it'll be interesting to see, you know, what what it's called or, you know, how different it's going to be. But I think, like I said, those uh, 2010, 2011 is where they really, like John Schneider was drafting guys and he was hitting grand slams and he didn't know it, <laughs> Yeah, you know, didn't know it for a few years. And then, you know, you realize that this guy can, this guy can play and that guy can play. So yeah, it'll, I think it'll be interesting to see if they are, a, are they in the early stages of building another defense that's just dominant like that? That's, I mean, if that happens, the sky truly is the limit for this team because I think we have a chance to see one of the best offenses in franchise history over the next couple of years. Uh, you know, assuming we don't get major regression from Geno Smith and it's funny, you know, we've been talking about the defense for an hour. We didn't even mention Quandre Diggs outside of him throwing his arms up in, in frustration a couple times last year. And, and just having a guy like that on the back end, I think is going to let these linebackers play, a lot freer too, especially with Bobby in there. Yeah, typically your safeties, you know, take care of. It's a, it's a great vantage point for those guys, right? They're yeah. they're back 10, 12 yards, and they they can see everything and how it plays out. And Quandre is a great guy. Remember, uh, you know, that was a guy. What did we trade? Like a fifth rounder for maybe? Yep. I mean, that was one of the more genius moves by by Schneider getting him and just seeing that, you know, what what kind of player that he was. So, yeah, I love Quandre. He's got kind of a – he called it a gloomy disposition. Um, he's sort of crabby. He's sort of cranky, and uh, I love that about him. Yeah. Love it. So, yeah, what? I mean – you love that about a player? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's old school, man. I saw the other day – another guy there's another couple guys there that kind of remind me of each other that like they're sort of old school grumpy crabby like i'm gonna just slam you to the ground one is uchenna nuosu and by the way the other day there was these running backs running through which i remember this happening all the time where it's called thud tempo right so you're practicing thud tempo means you go you hit the lineman full speed but then you don't tackle the guy to the ground you don't tackle the running back well, what the running backs do is they start acting like heroes and running through your defense <laughs> and everybody's cheering and everything and as a as totally. a defender you, you get you get grumpy when, yeah. when they do that so the other day i guess uh, Kenny McIntosh was doing that and running the crowd was cheering and so Uchenna had had enough of that so he went up and I guess just blasted him and <laughs> knocked him to the ground and you know he's got that old school Michael uh-huh. Jackson is another guy yeah Michael Jackson like he plays angry and then same thing with Quandre Diggs so I, I love that they're like uh, they're like grumpy old men but they you know they're tough as nails and you know those are the guys that kind of set the tone yeah yeah Well, listen, Dave, this has been incredible, man. We appreciate how busy you are this time of year. It means a lot that you took the time to join us. I really appreciate you guys having me on, man. It was, uh, it was fun to talk ball anytime. Yeah. We appreciate that. And we'll, we'll call you on that before we get out of here though. Where can folks hear more of you? Well, uh, of course, at Seattle Sports, uh, 7-10, Wyman and Bob from two to seven. Uh, Most days we've been cut you know, short a couple of times because of the Mariners, but, um, and then I'm going to start calling the games, uh, this year with Rabel from the booth. Um, Amazing. Yeah. On 97.3 and then 710sports.com and 710 sports and all that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really, I saw Rabel the other day and 
it's like I've known Rabel since like 1987, and we know each other pretty well. I always say I know Rabel, everything about him, and I like him anyway. <laughs> so that's kind of that way with Paul Moyer too. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, but I, I love Rabes. Him and I never stop talking to each other, and uh, we, we have so much fun in the booth. So I'm looking forward to calling the game. Oh, man, year. I can't wait to hear that. That's going to be awesome. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media. I am on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name. Mike is also on Twitter, and yes, we're still calling it that, at, at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram and threads at, at Cigar Thoughts NFL, and on YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok at, at Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out cigarthoughtsnfl.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thoughts cigars. Or, like many of you have, hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the details. And when you buy those cigars, please reach out, send us a pic, let us know what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of this show. It's been amazing to watch it grow. We know you've only got so much time in your life for podcasts, and it is an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making it happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm